There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 293 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We have Mark Rubin online in San Jose, California. All right, he. So we had one one fact check from last week. You mentioned the Academy Awards, and we've talked about the Academy Awards on um, on Spotcast. And I think the rules changed just last year, but um, and I've linked here a story that we talked about on the uh, on Spotcast. But uh, the the you had mentioned that they have to show in a theater of some type uh, for a movie to be qualified to be uh, nominated for Academy Awards. So I know you're, you're hoping for Sonic the Hedgehog to be the clear winner, but it has to. The rule is that they have to have played seven days in a theatrical run in Los Angeles. That's the the minimum. But the story we had from Spotcast, which I've got linked here, uh, talks about how they were changing the rules because of all the Netflix and uh, you know Amazon Prime and now Apple TV stuff that's come, been coming out over the last little while. And I think Roma was the movie that was an Netflix release that got nominated in 2019, um, and it was it, it so it had to be basically run in Los Angeles for a minimum of a week or seven day seven day run so to be qualified. So I guess I don't know. I guess Sonic has had seven day run in in Los Angeles, right? I mean, Pre- presumably because it had been out for a while. And yeah. the thing we talked about on Spotcast was the Golden Globes or, or People's Choice. I can't remember which awards right. it was, um, but it was not the Academy Awards, which as of this recording, I believe, has still not made any official guidance for that. Mm. And is that going to, we don't know if that one's been cancelled this year yet. Well, still too early to tell. I mean, they've gone without, without, you know, hosts. They might as well just do it all as a big Zoom call and stream it live on YouTube or something and it wouldn't be that different. Sure. Okay. All right. So what do we got? We have some Ask MTJC this uh, this week as well. I mean, We do. And it's from uh, Paul Wilkinson, friend of the show, says uh, Australian retailers, aside from Apple, have dropped the HomePod from uh, 469 Australian to 200 
$299. Fueling speculation, a new model is coming. What's happening in your neck of the woods? Well, we we had that back uh, a few months ago. I guess, was it around Christmas and Black Friday last year? We had, um, I think Best Buy was selling them for around that price, right? Because I bought one from uh, Otherworld Computing, and it was like a refurb one. And But I think you guys both picked up um, HomePods from, from Best Buy last year, didn't you? I did pick one up for $199 US, yes. $199. $199 US, yeah. So interestingly enough, after I saw that, I, I went and did a search to see if I saw any price drops. And, and I didn't see any in any regular retailers, but I did find this one article saying that Apple actually has dropped the price for employees uh, to $149. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, employees only. Hmm. Not clear what that means. The 149 that's like half off, right? That's half price. Pr- pretty or much more. half price, yeah. And I did not pick up one. My HomePod is still an only child. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, I have two of them, but they're they're separated by a floor, so so they can't do the stereo thing. Well, they could, but it would sound weird, right? Yeah. Well, I I do have mine stereo connected, and it's it's really good if you're mm-hmm. if you're interested in good sound. It's definitely worth it. It'd be interesting to see see how that 8D uh, stuff plays on on a pair of HomePods with the stereo separation. You know. All right, mm-hmm. moving on. All right, so in the follow up, we've got uh, this is a uh, I, I grouped the um, the sort of virus COVID related stuff to the top of the notes here, so we can get them sort of out of the way, if you will. Um, but the first one up is that, and I think this might, number might have changed since I posted this. This is from Sunday. Apple is producing 1 million face shields for medical workers uh, per week. Um, so Tim Tim Cook uh, took to uh, Twitter and uh, here in this article um, talking about how they're they're doing their part to contribute. And it's quite I mean, quite a few um, famous people have been uh, um, donating to the to the sort of cause around the world. I know that some celebrities have like I think, I think it was Blake Lively and and um, that Canadian guy who played uh, Daredevil or not Daredevil um, hmm, Ryan Reynolds. I think they donated some money. Uh, towards the cause and I think Bill Gates is doing something and but have you guys heard anything like that? Mm, probably to all of those there's there's been so many different <laughs> oh, sorry it's like <laughs> not to sound flippant yeah. but it, it I know there's been a lot of different things that have happened uh, relating to celebrities you know donating mm-hmm. or um, doing things to raise awareness um, there's even uh, John Krasinski who from uh, Jim Halpert from The Office or I guess if you watch Jack Ryan on Amazon he's you know the secret agent dude um, and uh, he started a new uh, YouTube series called um, So Good News as sort of the counter to that of like, all right, well, let's talk about some good stuff because you're probably hearing right, nonstop yeah, about, yeah. you know, sad, terrible things. So that's a very long-winded way of saying I I would not be surprised that all those things he stated were true, Tim. True. Okay. Well, it's interesting, too. I was watching a bit of that show the other day, and, and he was complaining about how – we're not complaining, sort of friendly complaining about how other people have taken his uh, his idea and run with it, right? So a bit of copyright infringement he's claiming. But, but it was, you know – with, he's having fun with it. Um, following up on, uh, I think uh, we, Apple had an app last week uh, that they were uh, putting out to, for COVID nineteen awareness and you know uh, testing or sort of not testing but like vetting. Um, Canada has also come out with a uh, an app uh, on the App Store for those of us who can't get the American one. This is not Apple Canada. This is from um, the government of Canada, and it's published by or created by a group called Thrive Health, and they're out of Vancouver. I know it's also the BC. British British Columbia also has their own version of the app. So obviously that I would guess it was made by the same group of guys. So if you're in Canada and you're looking for same kind of information that uh, our U.S. counterparts have through Apple, we have our own app now too. So, you know, daily information and, and
and uh, self-check sort of things and showing you how to wash your hands and all that kind of stuff and explaining, you know, what, what the, the virus is all about. So that's uh, that's that. And then swinging back to Apple and their um, their uh, uh, face shield production, there's actually a support document on support.apple.com, which is where we normally find, you know, the how-tos and the help information and manuals and documentation for consumer-level products on uh, from Apple. This is uh, a piece on how to assemble your face shield and how to make it, how to adjust it to fit your face. So it's got uh, a diagram showing the face shield itself, a silicone strap that comes with, and a, a forehead band, um, and showing, you know, a little animation there showing you how to put it together, and, you know, in typical Apple, you know, well-illustrated style. Um, in fact, in, this is animated, if you want to look at that, but uh, I think it's kind of funny and interesting that they've done it in the same sort of style that they do most of their uh, consumer-level support documentation, even showing you how to clean it and that kind of stuff, so that's cool. Does it say how to get one? Can you order them from Apple? <laughs> <laughs> that is a good question. That's the million-dollar question. Um, no, I just lost my it's link. kind of strange. Yeah. I'm looking through the Apple store looking for one, but I don't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think that they're uh, they're meant to be going to uh, to persons that uh, need them. Oh, if you need it, there's a face shield at apple.com email address. I suppose you can uh, contact them there if you need some. But more power to you. And just I, I, on a personal note, Carol's been uh, Carol's taken up the um, the arms of uh, of uh, making personal masks for one of our hospitals in our neighborhood. Has asked for a thousand uh, masks, uh, cotton masks, for visitors who come to visit people at the hospital. I don't necessarily think they have specifically COVID-based uh, uh, patients or cases there, but you know anybody coming into the hospital, they want to make sure that they're they're not spreading or possibly catching this disease. So um, so we're all uh, we're I'm you know I'm wearing face masks when I go out and um, yeah we're we've been donating to people around the neighborhood no, no at no cost. So if you if anybody wants a, uh, you know face mask, uh, hit us up. You know um, Carol's using up all the old uh, um, pajama fabric and boxer short fabric that she's had collected over the years. So I've got a you know a Pac Man based one. I got a bunch of Star Trek ones and some uh, I've got a Death Star on one of them. So all kinds of cool stuff. So yeah, we're making we're doing our part to make um, face shields for people. And there's all kinds of there's uh, lots of um, sewing instructions available through. This is the Michael Guerin Hospital here in Toronto that's doing the thousand mask campaign. But Carol, you know, being a you know professional sewer, has modified the, um, the instructions and and uh, even figured out how to get elastic, which seems to be in short supply, even though it's not considered an essential, you know, subject or matter. She's figured out how to make the, um, the elastic to go around your ears by cutting uh, the large size uh, hair bands. She picks up at the dollar store for a couple of bucks and gets like 50 of them for a couple of bucks. And so we're managing to keep ourselves supplied with, with supplies for making masks. Anyway, that's our, that's our deal. Alrighty, so uh, Mark, you got something here for us? Yeah, I do. Uh, so we've we've talked a lot in the past about how old languages kind of never go away, and and uh, you never know when something might come back. And we talk about computer software languages, uh, usually in the context mm-hmm. of of Objective C, but but we've talked about COBOL a few times. Right. Uh, and uh, interestingly enough, I just found an article here on Apple News saying that a lot of uh, state governments these days, uh, since they have a a huge number of unfortunately unemployment claims to process are finding their systems, which are all based in COBOL, are are being taxed right now, and and they're in desperate need for COBOL developers. Interestingly enough, hmm. uh, it mentions specifically Connecticut, uh, New Jersey, and Kansas. So if you have some old COBOL skills that you haven't used in a while, or or have used in a while, and yeah. are are uh, looking to help out, uh, it looks like there's opportunities right now. It's interesting. There's been a lot of layoffs in in the sort of computer business. And I, you know, it's funny, I, I know, um, 
I know we use COBOL at at the company I work for, the large institution here in Canada. Um, but I, I know that some of the developers I've spoken to actually started out in COBOL. I think Greg might even started on COBOL or something like that um, back in the early, early, early days of his career. But uh, he's older than he looks. But, um, he's too young for that, though. No, <laughs> it's possible. I, I, but, no, yeah, it's no, possible. No, I think no. I think he had some he had some run in with some old some old uh, languages and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I do know some some developers, some who probably listen to the show, who have some have some older COBOL skills, right? But uh, yeah, surprising surprising that it's still around. And I think that I, I, we've mentioned we joked about it on the show before that um, all the satellites that that NASA's been sending up to uh, you know to various parts of the you know universe like Voyager and all those kind of things, they all speak COBOL. It's Fortran. You know? Is it Fortran? Yeah. Oh, even older, right? Uh, maybe, around the same maybe age. Maybe around the same age. Yeah, yeah. Fortran's a big scientific language because it's it, it's it's basically it was basically a, a uh, before we had calculators. It was it was the language to do mathematical calculations back then. So COBOL runs on the old host systems that they used to call them, like the IBM 36s and stuff like that? Mm, probably, yes. Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, get your COBOL skills. Maybe we, should, we need COBOL by tutorials by Ray Wunderlich to come out soon. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, the, well, before we go over that one, I want to I want to poke at this quote here, right? And, and to be really clear, uh, I'm not making it political. I'm talking about failings in terms of humans and uh, postmortems for projects and actually doing stuff. So literally, we have systems that are 40 plus years old, New Jersey Governor Murphy said over the weekend. There'll be lots of postmortems, and one of them on our list will be how did we get here when we, where we literally needed COBOL programmers? But let me tell you, because when you did that uh, very same postmortem back in 1999 to 2000, 20 years ago, you didn't learn from it. <laughs> and if you've been involved in postmortems, in organizations, they quite often don't learn from them. So there should be a postmortem on postmortems, I think. We just, we just chalk them down to t- t- technical debt, put them on a list and forget about them? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because I'm sure somebody said, hey, well, let's rewrite this. You know, well, here's what it would cost to make it, uh, you know, perfect and not have, you know, wild and exotic new bugs. Because, you know, these COBOL systems don't have bugs that are unknown. Like they've, they've figured it all out by now. I'm sure there's a Jira epic somewhere in the backlog saying migrate away from COBOL. <laughs> Rewriting this hot new language Java, which yeah, itself is now right. like 30 years old. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the question though is is what's the where, where is it on the priorities, right? Yeah. Just you know, just, just pick a fancy new language. You know, re, re, draw the line and saying start rewriting it in Swift, which is already mm. uh, what it was six UI. years six what's... years old coming up on mm-hmm. right, or or use Rust or some other like newer language. And by the time you get done writing it. Hey, guess what? It'll be like a decade old and it'll be solid. And then at very least, you know, it'll have another 20 years. It's like, oh, why do we need these Rust programmers? Damn it. They're all gray haired. And, and now we got to go find them and pay them a lot of money. Why didn't we write it in something newer? And then the cycle continues. Well, so now that you just mentioned that Swift is now six years old by, by our own podcast rules, that makes it, uh, it past its half-life, right? It is, you know, it's, it's, it's not quite at six years, I guess. Right. Cause we would be six years in the introduction. And it in was, June. Yeah, 2014 June was when it was rolled out. Yeah. 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 But you're right. It is definitely past the midpoint of the hype cycle. The 10 year. But, but we never claim that, that languages only have that length of that life life cycle. I would, we claim that hot things, hot new things have that life cycle and languages tend to stick around for a lot longer. 
They do in terms of sticking around in usage, but I think the hype cycle still works at some level. I'm, I'm unclear because my longtime listeners of the show know the the genesis of part of the reason for this show was my my uh, beer time or hallway track, I assume, conversations with Tim at uh, 360 iDev many moons ago yep. about my my hypothesis for hype cycles, like um, what I saw happen to the web and then web 2.0 and what I at the time assumed was happening to mobile. And I think it might still apply at some sort of level and I'm not sure how it works out for things like languages and I'll take um, I'll take go golang as an example it is like 10 years old now I think and I have noticed that it's not the you know hot new language that people are like oh my gosh look how many different you know conferences there are starting up with about it look how many different conference talks there are about it there still are many don't get me wrong it still has its place I think it's matured and it's solidified and so I would suspect that Swift might end up doing the same thing. And then we'll be talking about, you know, Swift plus plus or something. And then, oh, look at all these different conferences and all these new books and all this new material that comes out related to it. Did Go really ever take off? I mean, there was, it was always, it was always considered a, a language that, you know, was about to take off. Right. And it never, mm -hmm. did it, did it ever really take off or, or am I just, am I just uh, insulated from it? Because I'm not it's in used, that world. It's used for sure. And yeah. it seems to be doing pretty well in terms of the, uh, like, um, containers and Kubernetes infrastructure world. And it's, if I was to call it like a, you know, a sports metaphor thing, I would say that it's a pretty solid journeyman. You know, it's like, Hey, it's that, uh, that midfielder or Hey, it's that, uh, that quarterback that nobody ever really wanted to say, wow, like that is by golly, that's your franchise person. But yeah, this person will get us through, you know, they can get us into the playoffs. That's what I think it is. It, you know, it's, it's a pretty good solid performer, but not the, uh, the darling of, uh, of the, uh, the programming language world. Didn't it get sort of overshadowed a bit by JavaScript and Node.js? In terms of uh, like backend development, especially, you know, web application development, I think JavaScript trounces everything handily, yeah, right? Yeah. Easily. Um, JavaScript is the the lingua franca of like the entire programming world when you when you look at it that from that way. Um, it definitely lost out uh, to stuff like Node and JavaScript, um, the resurgence of Python for sure, and the emergence of Rust. Mm. I'm seeing more people talking about doing things that they might have used Go for and say, well, let's evaluate it versus Rust. And and it's not like a perfect sort of thing to do, but um, it definitely is not the darling, as I mentioned before, that it was, you know, five years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's not to denigrate it. It is on my list of languages to pick up and, and do interesting things with. I just don't think it's like the huge, um, oh my gosh, you're going to get, you know, a $500,000 salary just by learning this one skill, right? It, that, that ship has sailed for that part of it. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's go down with Zoom, Jaime. Wow. When I, when I put these two links in the show notes. It felt like many, many moons ago. Mm -hmm. So I'll do my best to describe what is roughly happening. So the context is during the pandemic, so many people um, are working from home or they are going to school from home or doing other things, you know, like religious services, like say, and, and talking with friends and family from home. They're looking for video conferencing solutions. Zoom happens to be one of the best on the market with regard to its stability over, you know, crazy network conditions and 
the number of participants that it can handle pretty seamlessly when all is said and done. Unfortunately, um, what has come to light over many, many different articles is that Zoom isn't really well suited from a security standpoint for many reasons, uh, one of which is the fact that it really heavily focused on uh, frictionless ease of use, easy sign up, easy joining of conference calls. Um, it's, it's almost practically follow up to when we talked about like, Hey, remember when they were doing that dodgy thing with the, uh, the little web server on the Mac so that you could just automatically join and it's like, Oh no, they shouldn't be doing that. Especially since they left it running, even after you uninstall the app, um, they ran into more things as more people have, you know, put their, their classes online and they've done other things. And zoom announced a 90 day feature freeze to fix its privacy and security issues. That's kind of how bad it got. And yeah. I mean, like it's grown quite a bit. Like we talked about the fact that they've gone in December, they said they have, we have 10 million users and uh, now they're at roughly around 200 million users. So they've grown 20 times, right? Yeah. It's definitely stressed their, their, you know, software development life cycle and their, their yep. systems reliability and everything. And, and yet we do have things like this other article that I'd linked here about Zoom uh, quickly fixes malware-like macOS installer with new updates. So they had apparently had some sort of installer with a, um, I think it was a signed bit of code that also allowed them to bypass things that you would normally have to like click and approve to, mm. you know, let it do stuff, um, new, you know, add new features, that sort of thing. And it's like, well, yes, that makes it, you know, much more usable and it does make it a much more frictionless sort of way to set things up. But it's also not that great from an, you know, on the up and up sort of thing. <laughs> right. And they've run into some of those, like their, uh, their claim that they had end to end encryption. It's like, well, no, actually what they have is point to point encryption, but the, the pass through in the middle for their servers isn't actually encrypting data, you know, oh, at really? rest or anything. It's like, oh, well, that's not good. And, uh, oh, by the way, some of their encryption keys um, accidentally routed some folks' information through China. It's like, oh, well, that's good. That sounds really great if you, uh, you know, were a country that perhaps might be worrying about the thing sort of thing. Or if you were like, let's say, um, a government party like the United Kingdom, its prime minister has been running some of their cabinet or whatever the equivalent meeting, parliament meetings, I guess, through the Zoom. And today, Google... Uh, apparently had told its own folks it's like hey for google business do not use zoom right because google has a threat model that includes hey we would not want to have um you know uh nation state actors nor do we want you know uh, corporate espionage to occur so don't use zoom use uh, the newly renamed google meet which is previously hangout meet and then they're on top of that you end up with things like um you know zoom links by default and this has changed now but uh, I mean, this is all with in the last what week or so they didn't require any sort of like securities like by default it was like a nine digit number uh, there was software out there that could easily guess up to 100 valid zoom ids per hour and guess what people were joining public zoom leaks and using all sorts of profanity and sharing their desktop with pornography and you know just griefing trolling harassing you know students public actors and even this very podcast uh, you know we we really realized when we started recording they're like oh there's like a new waiting room thing now that zoom makes us go through as the the host join right so well, that could be part of the preferences because i did host a party on the weekend and and uh um because we were posting it on some public forums i i, I checked off the option to have to um have a waiting room right so i, I did that, that's entirely possible tim I, I believe you but i do know that there was uh, another news article about them adding that and 
don't know if it's part of the defaults. Um, I think they require a password now by default. So they've done a lot of things to to go away from what I think, you know, to just giving some benefit of the doubt to, to folks at Zoom. You know, their software was largely, for what I could tell, intended for some implied level of trust, right? You're working with your teammates at the office, uh, virtual office, or you are sharing something uh, with a friend or family member. What it really wasn't designed around in terms of uh, not the features per se, because they, they had by and large all these features, but in terms of the, um, you know, what are the defaults, sort of these sensible defaults was not intended for, hey, this entire school district is going to be using this tool uh, from home or uh, this government system is going to use this thing from home. So it's been it's been quite the the whirlwind of a mess for their product. Right. Well, you know, it's a, one of those things you dream of, a problem you dream of having, I guess, right? So unfortunately for them, I'm sure it probably hit them with in the pocketbook too, right? It was having to roll out these fixtures in such yeah. a way. Yeah. I mean, but kudos to their their engineering team to be able to turn those things around and, as far as I know, still keep up with all of the demand. I don't yeah. think I've heard yeah. of anybody say, hey, Zoom is down for an hour, two hours, four hours. So uh, I give them a lot of credit from the site reliability engineering standpoint and the, the quick-to-market sort of adjustment regardless of whatever their, you know, uh, product management and, and, you know, user research, user experience sort of foibles have been before. Right, right. All good. All right. Cool. Speaking of privacy. I mean. Yeah, speaking <laughs> of privacy. So the uh, the new iPad Pro apparently cuts off the microphone when its case is closed. Mm-hmm. If you get one of those fancy pants, uh, what are they called? The Magic Keyboard case? Yeah. There's some sort of mechanism. I don't know if it was a physical disconnect or if it's like a software disconnect, like a firmware disconnect. But either way, you close that keyboard board uh, cover and the iPad Pro will shut off its microphone. So you don't have to be worried about somebody uh, snooping on you. Well, there are magnets in most of the cases that you have, you know, for the iPad. Like if you have the regular, you know, just a folio case or whatever they call it. Um, I have the Logic keyboard that I was talking about last week. And uh, and also they have the various keyboards that, that Apple's come up with. Um, I think the magnet, when you close it, the magnets make contact with the iPad and, and put it to sleep. But I, I wasn't aware that the microphone was still active, um, which is kind of interesting, right? Which is what this specifically does, right? Yeah. And I know there's similar things for, at the very least, the um, the camera on the laptops. I remember right. I was talking oh, about yeah. the fact that the hardware light um, is a hardware connect. So, mm. like, if you close the lid, it, you know, uh, disconnects things. It also, uh, the, oh, that might be for the microphone. I think for the hardware uh, green light, like, it is guaranteed to turn on when the camera itself is physically turned on. So, even if there was some sort of software or um, some for flaw, you would still at least be able to know because you would see the green light turn on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there were hacks where people could do it without uh, like lighting that thing up though, right? There were hacks to, to get it to start, but it, after they did the hardware uh, connection piece, even if they oh, could they, get they, it to start, you would at least know that it light occurred. would be on. Because yes, yeah. the green light would be on. Yeah. Huh. It's interesting, my 2013 um, MacBook Air, I've got one of those little, uh, I got a little tunnel bear slider that I can put over top of the camera because it doesn't have the green light, but my my, um, uh, my display monitor does have the green light. Like, sort of, I think, most of the iMacs, right? So to let you know that uh, it's on. But ag- again, you would never know on the iPad if the ca- if the camera's working or not, right? Because it doesn't have any way of indicating that it is or isn't. Yeah, other, same thing with the than, iPhone. Other than sandboxing and things like that that would protect you, I suppose, right? All righty. So what else you got for us, Jaime? This would is a follow-up to, I don't know if it was main show or after show, but we made reference to the fecal transplant method of getting your Xcode support files to be how you want yeah. them to be, right? Um, how do I 
unravel this. So the situation well, I can describe about, the problem. Oh, go like. for it. Go for it. Sure. Yeah. So so in some cases you you want to support an older version of Xcode um, for compatibility. You know reasons across a big team. Let's say um, and uh, Apple comes out with new phones and they come up with new OS, OSs and and uh, re- the the support for for various OSs like thirteen point four and thirteen point three are in certain versions of Xcode. And if you're running on an older version of Xcode and, and you try to do a build to a new machine, you can't because the symbol files aren't in Xcode for for it to understand how to build to your to your device, right? So the way to do that is by getting the device uh, f- support files from one version of Xcode into another. So this is where I made this little trick comes in. Right. And we'd made the analogy the last time that it's similar to the legitimate real medical procedure called a fecal transplant where you have somebody who has an unhealthy um, microbiome in their in their gut. They can have intestinal problems, uh, all sorts of other ailments. In any case, the way that you can help cure that in some cases is by getting donor feces from a, a healthy person who has a healthy gut and they will medically put that into your own gut. And this helps uh, colonize, I guess, with good uh, good gut bacteria into uh, the person who needs the procedure. So it's. I apologize if you're listening to this very show, um, not while you're driving at home, but while you're eating at home, I suppose. But uh, that was my sort of glib way of describing it as a fecal transplant where you take from the one X code that does have the support you want and transplant its files in a very sort of not as the instruction book says sort of way over to the other X code. Right, right. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a I don't know if it's a, it's a, it's a hack basically that we've all been using for, for many years to, to make our X codes work. Um, like if you're running an older version. And so this, this article you've got here has a, um, basically a command line version of copying from one X code. Uh, location is basically inside of the ac- actual uh, X code version. You can right click on it and show package contents and drill into contents developer platform, iOS, iPhone OS platform, which shows you how old this is, this trick and, uh, device support. And inside there, you'll find the various, you know, versions of the OS that you need to support, right? Um, and your article here shows how to, how to do that on the command line, basically, right? From one good Xcode to one that needs the support, right? Indeed. And my only, my only comment about this is, is this works great if you, if you are the, the owner, um, from a user point of view, if you're admin, if you're, you've had min privileges on your, on your computer when you installed Xcode, then you are the owner of the Xcode. But, uh, if you're not, then you, it requires a super user to do this for you, right? So you need an admin privilege to do it. I like the idea of using a symbolic link to that. That would be an interesting, interesting one to try as well, provided the, um, you know, the version you have. Like here, it, it talks about copying over support files from Xcode 11.4 into 11.3.1 as an example, right? Yeah. It, on the one hand, I'm of one mind of like, oh, it'd be kind of nice if this was separated out and then you just sort of had this thing is, hey, I would like Xcode. By the way, I'd also like these other simulators. It's sort of a separately managed thing, but mm-hmm. it probably gets kind of out of hand to not have it be sort of nicely tied together the way it is as one one um, bundle, I suppose. Yeah, actually, I think that, so the, these files that we're talking about here, these, the, if you look at them, if you inspect what they are, there's there's a like a device support uh, D-image or disk image. And um, I think when Xcode runs, it unpacks those and moves them into your user folder. But I think it also includes support for the for the various um, uh, simulators, right? So when you go, to, once you've done this and you go to choose, you know, which version of simulator you want to use, it actually does show you the older the older OSs as well as selectable as, as your target, right? You don't, your target doesn't have to be the latest OS. It can be a, a previous one, but... Uh, when you go to build to a to a, a device that's been upgraded beyond your 
version of Xcode's um, knowledge, then uh, then you need to use this trick. I mean, most people are, are up to date and you know updating their stuff or living on the edge, as you like to, you say, right? So, Wait, you did know. you say this allows you to use an old version of the iOS SDK as your target? Um, well, no, I, I thought mean, you said that, but maybe I heard wrong. Yeah, yeah. So what it is, you no, know, I mean, like like let's say you're running you're running um, Xcode eleven dot one or two, right? Mm-hmm. And then your your supported OS would be something like thirteen or thirteen dot one, right? Um, so if you have a device that's been updated to thirteen, as of today, the latest OS is thirteen dot four dot one. And uh, in order to support that, you would need uh, you'd need your your Xcode eleven or twelve or Xcode eleven two would need to know about um, that device. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. the 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 forward the forward part makes complete sense. That's that's. But you wouldn't be able. You, but what I'm saying though is you wouldn't be able, you wouldn't be able to set the target too high, but you could still leave the target at, at you know the old what the older Xcode supports, right? Okay, you okay, you're, like, st- you're st- okay. You're still talking about devices, not not yeah. uh, SDKs. Okay, yeah. But if you but if you look at most S- if you look in this folder um, in this uh, device support folder in most copies of Xcode, you'll see um, uh, support files going all the way back to like uh, iOS seven, you know, eight or nine, ten. You'll see all the various you know releases that have that have gone between where we are today and where we were you know th- two three years ago. Whatever Apple sort of has cho- chooses as the lower lower level, right? I think I mean I can take a look at my Xcode right now. Hang on, the simulators are here too. I wonder if you could do the same same fecal e transfer transport thing. Yeah. So in this version of Xcode, which I'm running, which is 11.3.1 on my Mac here, um, it ha- I have support files going back to 8.0 all the way up to 13.2. So I haven't got 13.4 in, in this particular version of Xcode. So I would need to add those to be able to, unless I wasn't going to you know grab 11.4 and, and run and install it on my Mac. Right? So if I had updated my phone, I wouldn't be able to install with this. I wouldn't be able to build to it with this version of Xcode if it was running 13.4. That's the name of that tune. Anything else to say about this, Hemi? No, I think that's that's been pretty good because it's it's definitely a thing that I've run into from time to time. Mm-hmm. It's like, yay, I want to update my iOS device. Oh, damn it. That's the one I and also use. Now I can't use. build to it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they don't just make it easier to, to down. Like, given the fact that this support is possible, I don't know if there's any serious downside to making it just a little bit easier and automatic to do through Xcode itself. Versus well, I mean, the thing about this, I don't know if we're really, are we really at ABI, ABI stability yet? Because that was the problem is if you, as soon, every time you update your Xcode, you have to make sure you go through your code and make sure that it's up to date, right? Because um, they may have added new, they may have deprecated some stuff and added some new stuff to it, right? Um, but you'd have to go through and, and make sure your existing code. So if you've got a huge code base, it may not be something you want to do like on a whim, right? You need to plan it. You need to have it in your Jira backlog, as Mark was saying earlier. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't do it for funsies. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, like, oh, like the new OS is out. It's got like like me with my with my, my iPad. I wanted to have the you know trackpad support, right? So I immediately jumped on to 11.4. No, that basically means that the, with the version of Xcode I just looked at on my Mac, I can't build to my iPad because it's too new now or it's the OS is newer. So I have to do this this hack or I have to get, you know, the next version of Xcode installed on my Mac. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of dependency stuff there. I, I mean, like, are we are we at ABI stability yet? Can we just randomly grab Xcodes and you know, once we've got past Swift 5 or 5.1, do we know? So we're definitely at ABI stability. I don't know how that ends up impacting this sort of trick re- with regard to Swift, especially given the way that the simulator does things in a simulated fashion and it doesn't necessarily reflect what the actual device will do. Yeah, that's something I recall, like li- like dynamic libraries or something are not ready there yet or something like that. Anyway, maybe we'll have a follow-up item for next week, I guess. Alrighty, what's, uh, what's next? This one is a bit of follow-up related to Microsoft, and I want to sort of ask the panel here about do we think Apple will follow suit? So the news is that 
all Microsoft events will be digital only until July of 2021, not 2020. Wow. Yeah. So not only build and a whole bunch of the other ones that were slated for 2020, but they've gone as far ahead and said, you know what, you know, bit of a hassle getting these venues and vendors and everything else all lined up. Like who knows what's going to happen. Let's, let's just play it safe and do it all online till 2021 if middle of the year, right? July. Well, it's interesting because it, it, they are talking about, um, you know, that the current situation may, like we're all trying to flatten the curve and make it, you know, make it have a lower impact and be able to manage it. But, you know, I, I'm also hearing that um, the estimates of when this will, how long this will run um, may not be as, as, you know, every day they have reports that it's going to be longer, run longer into the summer kind of thing. Um, as it is right now, we're at April, middle, you know, first of April, April 8th, actually, and they're already talking about it running sometime into end of May, but I've also heard that like, I think the Spanish flu wasn't, or the, was it the Black Plague? One of the two of them didn't just happen all at once, right? It, it happened, it went away, it came back, it went away, it came back, right? So we could be looking at something like that, this for this particular virus as well, right? That it could, you know, it may, we may get a handle on it, and but there may be a second wave coming, and, and I think that's that's what I'm hearing the last couple of days, is that there has to be planning for, for future case, future states, right? So... Yeah, I've been hearing that be as well, that they are expecting a second wave in the fall uh that in the fall yeah, yeah that potentially could be even worse than than this one unfortunately yeah like i heard some 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 hope that it's going to subside in the summer because of the warmer weather right but uh yeah so uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if apple did that especially considering that they are a silicon valley based company and and one of the things that in in all uh, objective uh, ways to look at it has has been quite successful is 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 this area shut down very early uh, with you know relative to where other other parts of the country have done that and uh, we have yes for sure we've we've had we've been impacted but but the relative amount of, of impact from the virus that we've had uh, in terms of, of cases and deaths has has been lower than other places certainly lower than places like New York or New Jersey uh, and and I think you can totally correlate that to the fact that we shut down very early and we're very very cautious so so, so I, I suspect that uh, being a local company, they will, Apple will have learned from that positive, well, somewhat positive experience, and uh, and and uh, err on the on the conservative side, if anything, towards towards keeping shut down. So I think there's a pretty strong probability they will do that or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, like like I think that for Apple, you know, WWDC has always sort of been a you know uh, the main stage for them. It started out with with the Mac rolls; they would roll stuff out there. And uh, you know when they moved over to MacWorld, um, they backed away from from sorry when they moved over to WWDC, they backed away from MacWorld, uh, which saw the end of MacWorld. I don't know if you guys remember that, right? I think we might have talked about that when this show first started. But um, no, actually, I think even before this, because I, I met Mark in 2011, I think Mark and um, at, oh, at like MacWorld. Yeah, and uh, I think the next year was like the last year because I, I I wasn't well, at the last Mac. Yeah, I mean the last yeah. couple of MacWorlds were already pretty. Yeah, Apple had already pulled out. Pretty yeah. reduced. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they had already pulled out, and and it was basically a, a, a giant floor of iPhone cases. You know, that's that's yeah, <laughs> sort of was. And they tried yeah. to they tried to keep it going. They had the whole uh, you know app uh, forum thing going for a while, which I did one year and wasn't particularly successful. It was you know you could have a little little booth, mini booth to to show off your stuff. Didn't really work too well. Uh, so that that I don't think it worked for anyone. 
So yeah, it was dying already by the time, by the time, uh, well, yeah, pretty much as soon as Apple pulled out, it started dying. And yeah. I mean, the only big trade shows that are around that are around like the consumer electronics show and, and, uh, E3, right. Those are the, the big ones. And then like you have comic, comic and you know, fan expos and that kind of stuff that still go on. Um, but like in tech, I mean, I mean, even the movie, I don't know if you remember the movie with Sandra Bullock called the net, I think it was called, um, where she's like a computer hacker who gets some sort of, and she has to like run away from these bad guys with guns and stuff. That happens every day in development, doesn't it? Um, but they that was actually shot out of Macworld, I think, in, in Boston. Um, so it's kind of those kind of te- those kind of like trade shows have, have gone away, right? No, no, that's that's really not true at all. I wouldn't no? say. You think they're no. still happening? Or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, they're still happening, but. But uh, they're just different ones. I mean, they're, you know, there's still right. Google has a couple of big conferences. Their Salesforce conference is huge. Oh, okay. yeah. um, yes, you mentioned CES. Uh, you know, E3. There's there's lots and lots of them. I, a lot, of, possibly more company sponsored now, where one one particular company will have a big show for their customers, uh, as opposed to the more general purpose ones, possibly. Um, yeah, but, that's right. There's Black Hat as well. At the, yeah, the yeah. There's one, right? there's there's still lots of them. It's just it's just the Mac ones have gone away. Okay, maybe the Mac ones. Just yeah. a shift okay. in the in the uh, how how insular we are. <laughs> it's, but, uh, it's changing though, right? So O'Reilly, who has these mega mega conferences um, because of the pandemic, has shuttered that entire division. They are not yeah. doing any more O'Reilly events. Not going to say never again because they could always start it back up, but for the foreseeable future, they're not doing it. Oh yeah, yeah. We were we were talking. I was talking about before the whole pandemic hit. I mean, right, certainly right. the pandemic is changing things for sure. Yeah. Well, the whole idea of getting back to normal i mean um like i don't think we'll get back to normal not in our generation anyway right like how leery are we going to be of, of everything from going forward yeah what does normal mean i guess it's, it's yeah. dvd yeah it'll, it'll evolve right it'll evolve does that answer your question honey <laughs> <laughs> I think the answer is yes. <laughs> All right. What do you got first in the main meat and potatoes part of the show? It is uh, about a 10-minute video mm-hmm. wow. from the fine folks at Apple on advanced scene understanding in AR. So AR Kit 3.5 and Reality Kit updates, uh, especially related to some of the stuff that we talked about uh, last episode or the episode before with mm-hmm. the new iPad Pro and its LiDAR sensor. They talk about that and some of the things you can, you can do and you can get out of it. And it's pretty nifty and it makes me wonder if this is what you know this year's wwdc videos will be like you don't see the presenter at all it's just the slides and the content that the person is speaking and mm-hmm. my note here is that maybe it's just me because i'm catching up on season four of better call saul so i can start watching season <laughs> five but i swear i swear this person sounds a whole lot or at least vaguely like bob odenkirk yeah really? I, I watched the video and since you said that i was like like, yeah, he kind of does, but but I'm not sure I would have thought that if you hadn't mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting enough, you mentioned the the videos. My, you know, don't don't show people, don't show people. Uh, in the early years of WDC videos, they didn't show people either. Oh, really? Yeah. If you go back to watch some of the, you know, the early ones, yeah, yeah you see was, the slide and you hear the voice, but you never you would see the never person, see a person. Right? Yeah, it's only in the last right. couple of years that they started showing people. So so really? I'm not sure this is a intentional switch or. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to see. So there's just a voiceover in this one? There's no no body? That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's certainly easier to make the video if you don't show the person, right? Because it's the 
editing is much easier and and it's it's easier to if the person makes a mistake it's easier to just right. splice audio than to splice video right right yeah like i don't think that this was done in one 10 minute and 22 second right uncut take right it's I a little too perfect they, yeah 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 unless hmm. he had practiced it 80 times before that yeah <laughs> i guess it's possible yeah no i haven't watched it yet so i don't know but but interesting that this is talking about lidar because uh Rennie Ritchie has started a new channel. I think we did we talk about it last week. I can't remember. Um, like he'd moved away. Yeah, we talked about this last week. He's moved away from Vector. Um, so I've watched a couple of them. He's doing during the week. He's doing short. Um, one every day he's doing like a short video. Um, and uh, he's doing a wrap up on the weekends kind of thing. But um, so the last two were kind of interesting and they're kind of timely in terms of where we're going with this. And one of them is that I don't know if you guys have seen, but there's a lidar rumor about the iPhone 12 coming out. Um, there's because in in iOS I guess iOS 14 beta whatever uh, people pulled it apart and they saw some images of an iPhone with the same similar camera that the uh, iPad the latest iPad pro has with the with the extra lidar sensor right um, so the the big question is you know what what's lidar going to be used for in this in this supposed next phone the iPhone 12 um, and also he the yesterday's video he was discussing the uh, the naming of the next phone which somebody has reported I've forgotten who he, who he said is reported that it is going to be called the iPhone SE um, as opposed to the iPhone 9. And we talked where there may be a 9 as well. I don't know. But um, what do you guys think about those two particular things? Have you followed any of those stories at all? I haven't followed the stories, but it's no surprise to me at all, it, or it would be no surprise to me at all if they put LiDAR on the, in the phone. It's, it's a, it's, it's, to me, it's an obvious next step uh, because, mm-hmm. because, because of Apple's massive effort in AR uh, to only allow that for the iPad would just would just be a ridiculous, uh, right, ridiculously yeah. uh, conspicuous in its absence to not have it on the phone. Right. So to me, to me, it's purely a uh, design cycle supply chain issue that it's that it was in the iPad first. Hmm. Well, why do you think they brought out the iPad now as opposed to like was it was this a time scale? Like was it the time of year? I guess yeah, because April is when they rolled out the first iPad, right? Well, it, it is interesting because they did move they did move it to the fall to coincide with the iPhone back when back when the uh, uh, back when they were when they were rolling them both out at the same time, roughly mm-hmm. the same time. It, I, I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, it's it's possible that that they're trying to differentiate them more. Uh, yeah. You know, ma- making the move to iPad OS uh, signals that they want the iPad to be seen as a separate, distinct product, and this helps that. Right. So yeah. it could be that. Yeah, it could it could be uh, it could be just an operations thing too. It might actually be easier internally for them to to have them six months out of phase you know so they're not right. having two massive rollouts at the same time they they separate them out uh, so that it's easier for their supply chain people and their operations people well or, it could also be that, both yeah it could also be that you know the the ipad sales compared to the iphone like the iphone everybody gets a new phone every year yep. hands down right yep. whether they go high or low pro or not pro well actually you do you know, think that's true i don't think every year every two years maybe well i mean general generally speaking there's, there's a lot of buzz around the phone right but right. but and it kind of steals the th- thunder away from the iPad by moving it to the to the spring you know the iPad gets its own sort of halo event right Um, it's because if you remember where where they positioned it originally when Steve Jobs he had that that quadrant um, picture they used to have when he was he had the iMac and he had the you know the iPod and he had the the Mac and he sort of had the you know sort of like he had broken them down into four different areas pro versus not pro kind of thing and the iPad kind of it was was a fit in the middle it kind of at one point when he rolled it out, he kind of, he said, there's a, you know, we, you 
have your phone and you have your your Mac. We needed something in between, and he kind of like spread the chart apart and you know, or, or part of the C's, if you will, and put the iPad in the middle. So I mean, you know, the Mac sales are one thing, and we've talked about Apple sales, you know, per quarter and all that kind of stuff when we talk about results and stuff like that. And you know, the iPad definitely has, or so the Mac has its own sort of sales pattern. It's nowhere near what the iPhone is, and then the iPad is sort of there as well, sort of the the black sheep of the family, if you will, in terms of sales. And and it's been going like I think the thing about it is people don't refresh their iPads as often as maybe Apple would like them to, right? Um, so by moving away from the other two cousins, if you will, I mean, like the, they brought out the MacBook, MacBook Air and the iPad at the same time and gave it that sort of, hey, this is a this is now a computing device, right? Um, spin with the keyboard and the mouse and or so keyboard and trackpad support and and, um, and the Apple Pencil. It kind of makes it the, the hybrid of both, right? Um, I think, you know, by moving it away from the iPad rollouts and you know, obviously, different, like you said, differentiating it with its own sort of operating system profile, right? Whether or not, like you say, is it really that different uh, from iOS, right? iPad OS, that is, right? So I think that I think that that's I, that may be one of the reasons from a marketing perspective, like you said, and from manufacturing that they're moving away from um, the iPhone, you know, buzz, right? Kind of like when they had the watch first rolled out, they had the, a special watch event. Remember that? So. Yep. Yeah. It, it, it seems like there's lots and lots of good reasons to do it. Uh, another one would be Wall Street management, right? Wall Street doesn't doesn't like big spikes once a year and nothing for the rest of the year. Right. Oh, yeah, they yeah, might yeah. Like, they might prefer having two slightly smaller spikes, uh, one in the end of the year, one in the middle of the year. So, yeah, it yeah, seems like there's yeah. lots and lots of reasons for doing this and very few conceivable reasons for not doing this. So it makes a lot of sense from Apple's point of view, from a business point of view. Yeah, the punch in the gut for Apple is, is the whole pandemic thing that landed right at the same time as they wanted to roll these two products out. Right, so that's gonna that's gonna color their their numbers, right? Well, yeah, but that hit everyone. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. What do you think about the iPhone SE versus iPhone nine moniker? We talked about that before, right? Like taking yeah. bets on this fifty fifty chance, <laughs> assuming that there's not like an F an iPhone ten Q or something ten Z. I'm going with iPhone Junior. They're gonna, they're gonna follow IBM's lead, right? Yeah. From like twenty years ago. Yeah, I I kind of think it will lean to I lean towards the SE. SE, but not not just the SE. It would have to be SE2 or something like that. Uh, mm. I, 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 to me, it seems like they won't do the 9 because that feels like a step back. Uh, right. They wouldn't do the Junior because that would acknowledge that something is yeah. not as good. Uh, whereas Mini, they could get away with it's just a physical smaller. Junior kind of implies it's you know not quite as as, as good as as the senior one. So I, so I think it's going to be the SE2 or something like that. Well, yeah, Randy Richie was saying the SE could, could have stood, stood for special edition, but it could also stand for second edition. You don't think they'll like? I mean, well, think about it though. Like they've had they've had products before. Like we had the iPad, then we had iPad two, then they went back to iPad. If you remember for the third iPad, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so they insisted on the, on it being called iPad, but like they had iMac as well, right? iMac has has had umpteen versions since it came out, right? Um, until they went to the iPad Pro, but you know, otherwise, iPad an iPad's an iPad, or sorry, an iMac's an iMac, right? I said iPad, I meant iMac. So we re record that, but anyway, um, yeah. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with them recycling the name iPhone SE, right? It's just a, it's just the 2020 version. I mean, what do you think? Hmm. I'm going to go in a different direction. So I'm, I'm going to say neither SE, unless it's like SE2, I guess. And I think I'm convinced that Mark's 9, because the, the 9 sounds lame compared to the 12. It's like, oh, so it's like three times away from that, or three hmm. integra increments. I, this is such a dumb prediction. I'm going to go back to the 5C, where the C either st 
stood for color mm. or cheap, depending on what you believed. Apple never explained it. So twelve C, a twelve C. Interesting. And it'll, Interesting. it'll be the cheaper, cheaper one. It'll, it'll have more colors. Well, they had the Mac LC at one point, which they they claimed did not stand for low cost. Ooh, I like that one. Right, yeah. LC. So the I, I like you're thinking about the twelve, but the only thing I can think of to counteract that would be there would potentially be four twelve models in that case. There would be right. the twelve. There'd be the twelve Pro, the twelve Pro Max, assuming they they continue that, and then the twelve C. That's a lot of twelves. They could copy Microsoft and call it the iPhone One. O N E One. Yeah. Or they call, they call it the twenty because it's two thousand twenty. True. True. Yeah. They won't call it the nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> hyphen 19 no for many reasons yeah yeah maybe it'll have like an etching of the the virus on the back of it or something yeah what are you going with jaime i'm going with c c c iphone sc no just c the iphone iphone like either iphone 12 c is what i'm going to guess so you'll have the the 12 the 12 c if you go down or you can go up to the 12 pro and then and then presumably like a max version of that yeah what about they call it what about they call it iveless the like iPhone. <laughs> that feels like could be the SE twenty as well for two thousand twenty. Mm. Anyway, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? We'll see. I think it will. We'll probably be called SE, but we'll see. All right, what's what's going on with our buttons, Jaime? Uh, nobody likes them. <laughs> nobody, nobody likes buttons. Wait, or or as, uh, as nobody uh, loves them. <laughs> As Jeff Watkins, former Apple developer, claims here in his uh, title, uh, "Nobody loves UI button," and I'm I'm inclined to to agree. And, and let's let's step through this this article and what it covers, and and talk about uh, you know something we don't think gets a lot of you know love and attention: UI button. So he starts out the article with, "Hey, you know, why do people do this thing?" And it makes him cringe. Says when he sees code where somebody has a view, a UI view of some sort that they add a gesture recognizer, particularly a tap gesture recognizer. And it's not like they're doing it for some true custom view needs. They're doing it as a stand-in replacement for what UI button does. Right. Right. And uh, and he goes through of like, hey, look, look at all this stuff that you're missing out on, right? You miss out on some of the usability aspects, like UI buttons will um, change themselves based on highlight states, like, you know, to give you some feedback that you actually tapped the button, right? Mm-hmm. And he also talks about like, yeah, way towards the bottom of the article, but like, hey, you also get a lot of accessibility properties for free for things like voiceover if you use UI button. And for people who do the UI view with tap gesture recognizer, a lot of times those folks don't think about that, right? Because it's extra extra work that they, they don't have for free. I think those are all true statements. However, I will counter that some of the things that he shows here as bits of code are, to be fair, not complicated, right? It's not complicated to use, you know, an NS attributed string to do some things like multi-line buttons. I get that. But it is kind of a hassle. And I think when folks come across like, hey, UI button, why doesn't it handle multi-line strings like any sane, reasonable person would expect? Well, that's why people say, hey, maybe I'll make my own custom thing and just throw a tap gesture recognizer with it and move on with my life. Right. I think that's valid. And the other thing that I think he doesn't really do a very good job of covering here is UI button doesn't handle images 
ages very well. Uh, certainly not for like the modern era, right? It, it is very janky to get uh, image icons to work the way you would want them to work for custom buttons. Um, mm. And I think that's rather a shame. So I don't know uh, how to feel. I think I'm sort of uh, split 50-50 about, you know, do I love UI button or am I probably guilty of doing some of the things that uh, that Jeff is talking about here? So I leave it to the panel. Discussions. UI button. Yay or nay. <laughs> Hot takes. <laughs> do we remove UI button from the SDK? No, I'm just kidding. How do you feel about these these different topics that brought up? It's UI button all the time. I'm kind of surprised that people don't. Yeah, same with me. I'm using, I use them all the time too. And I, and I use them. I, if I want to make a button, like have an image, I'll make an image for the button. Yeah. Button shaped. But. I've, yeah, I've never, I've personally never had issues with images and buttons. You just make a custom button, you stick an image in. Yeah. So I'm confused. It gets weird when, like a, a UI button was really good about handling the skeuomorphic type of images. Like, hey, give it this, um, what's the nine patch image called? Where it's like a image slice or yeah, sliceable right. image. With the curves, mm-hmm. cor- curved corners and stuff. Yeah. 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 And, and it would do that pretty well. What it didn't, and I don't know if it, if it has done better now, what it didn't handle very well for quite a long time was, hey, I want an image inside of the button. And But by the way, I want it to not be sort of arbitrary where Apple decides it goes. I want to control how far away it is and what it okay. does relative uh, to the yeah, text. Yeah. You do have to make compound, what I would call compound buttons in that case, where you have you have a, a uh, often a, a, uh, a clear button uh, with a bunch of other stuff in front of it that actually make up the content of the button. Yeah. I, I have had to do that kind of thing. Yes. So yeah, yeah. I, I see your point about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and multi-line stuff, it, it didn't for a long time. I don't know if it does now, but it didn't handle it the way you would sort of want it to handle. Hmm. So yeah, I, I get the sentiment uh, of, a, you know, we should use UI button and a lot of stuff, you know, that we get for, for free that the platform gives us. But I would also say it'd be kind of nice if it, you know, if the platform itself would modernize the way some of these things work. Uh, I think another thing that people uh, tend to complain about is the way that UI label handles things. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe it's better in wow. Swift UI, but it like it does weird. The first two building building blocks of iOS. You, it you does weird things that, that you just don't expect. Like it's sort of non-intuitive to say how many lines does this thing have if I wanted to have an indefinite number of lines. Like well, a zero. Right, yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I don't know why. Negative one seems like a more reasonable. Uh, you know, obviously this is a delimiter kind of token, but but sure, zero lines. Um, yeah. And, and the way it would decide to handle multi-line w- was always frustrating with with auto layout. Hmm. I don't know. I'm okay with it. Your your pro UI button. I see. Oh. <laughs> Living in the past, holding us back. <laughs> It's not a binary world, despite what you may think. You're either with us or against us, Tim. Uh, You've chosen the wrong side. Now we know that you're... (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Either I eat french fries or I don't, right? Freedom fries, you mean. (laughs) (laughs) To go with the freedom waffles that I continue to eat after the United States lost to Belgium in the World Cup many, many years ago. Freedom waffles? Freedom waffles, Tim. Mm. As opposed to French waffles? Belgian waffles. Belgian waffles, yeah. What do you do do about Danishes? You know, we we don't really have issues, but I think as long as this conversation keeps on going... Some freedom syrup pretty soon here is what I'm hearing. <laughs> as opposed to that Vermont syrup, huh? <laughs> as opposed to, yeah, see, there you go. Be all, that's what we're going to rebrand the Vermont syrup. Freedom syrup. Yeah. By the way, did you hear the, the controversy about the masks from 3M with Canada? No. You guys hadn't heard that story? Oh, wow. You guys are you sheltered lives down there south of the border. Did we end up Apparently, keeping it for ourselves in the United well, States? There's, yeah, there's a large, there's a large uh, powerful uh, um, political guy who said that 
you know, a certain company that makes masks that, you know, has a, a letter and a vowel, letter and number in their name. The shouldn't one you just ship, mentioned 10 seconds ago? Yeah, yeah. shouldn't ship, uh, shouldn't ship um, masks, uh, personal perfected equipment to Canada or Latin America, that they should stay in the United States. And, and uh, this large person had, you know, um, enacted some war times act or something like that. I forget the name of it. Um, but it was kind of pointed out or what, what he didn't realize or didn't take into his calculus was that the pulp that's used to make the paper that makes the masks comes from British Columbia, which is in Canada. So just, you know, heads up. <laughs> it is a wildly complicated and interconnected world we live in. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Some people need to stay in school and study geography. Anyway. Um, Are they going to do that, Tim? We were talking about these Zoom problems. <laughs> Can't study yeah. geography. <laughs> well, you, I, I kind of got the impression you were mentioning our maple syrup a minute ago too, right? I was desperate. To be quite honest, I was desperately grasping at straws for the first thing. <laughs> I was like, what is like the most Canadian thing I could think of? I was like, uh, syrup. Yes, there you go. Freedom, freedom syrup. So we have this, we have this rule now with, with the social distancing where you have to, when you're out in public, you have to stay six feet apart or, or two meters, as they say in Canada. Um, and, and so people are like, well, how big, how close is two meters? And somebody, somebody said, well, just carry a hockey stick around with you and wave it around. And that's because the hockey sticks are generally six feet long, right? So, so you just see a bunch of Canadians walking around with hockey sticks now, which we all we don't do, do that anyway. anyway. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. When I, when I was a kid going to, to, to grade school, I used to have a hockey stick with me in the morning and play hockey and, you know, in the recess and whatever. But yeah, so I guess that's, that's the measure for how, how, or actually, I think we talked about, did we talk about last, like last week, the one of the, uh, the health minister, um, to show the dif- distance or the difference of how big, um, uh, the gap between two people would be at, at uh, two meters. They had a big Kodiak grizzly bear in between them. So we could keep the distance of two. Cause you know, all of us in Canada, we, we know how big a Kodiak grizzly bear is, right? An even better way to keep two people from away from each other is to have an actual grizzly bear in between them. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's she's saying like, put, put a grizzly bear. An actual, between, oh, yeah, an but, actual grizzly bear. Okay. Yeah. 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 She, well, she had an illustration with two people and, and a grizzly, grizzly bear between them. Right. But, hmm. uh, Yes, sirree, Bob. Anyway, right. moving on. <laughs> let's uh, let's do our picks. Uh, I mean, let's get to our picks. What do you got for us? Yeah. So if you have uh, you know run out of shows to watch on Netflix, Netflix on Disney Plus, and everything mm-hmm. else, and you've uh, you've gotten at the end of every possible puzzle that you might have had stored in your basement, well, the fine folks at Plural Site are doing hashtag Free April. So for the month of April, uh, apologies by the time this episode goes out, you will have only a few weeks to go. Oh, but yeah. the, the entire month of April, you can run any of their courses that you want. And they seem to have pretty good stuff from what I understand from chatting to folks, mm-hmm. you know, around uh, software development or operations, information, cybersecurity, you know, other stuff like uh, creative professionals and business professionals. Um, yep. If you're interested in checking out, I don't recall the mobile development having a ton, unfortunately. Looking at it right audience. now, there's stuff about Xamarin. Do you have some iOS? Because... Yeah. Um, uh, Simon Simon Allardyce uh, works for Plural Site or has for a few years, right? So he was uh, he was famously on um, Lynda.com for years, um, and I've done some computer science stuff on on Plural Site too. We have a we have a corporate account that I can dip into from time to time, and I've done some you know computer engineering things that are that I found here as well. So there's quite a bit of uh, stuff. Yeah, for me, I'm looking more at the uh, the JavaScript, Node.js, and web development stuff. Is yeah. given my day job, and I'm mm. kind of curious on doing some of the 
C sharp .NET framework stuff because that'll that'll also come up for the uh, the jobby job in a few years. Well, mm-hmm. might as well take advantage of that while I can. Right. So, so is the idea you sign up for you sign up sign up for an account and you get a free free month to try it or yeah, and thing? you don't need like a credit card or anything, which is extra okay. cool. So it's not like yeah. haha, got you. You know, you forgot at the thirtieth day to cancel. Right. Uh, so I signed up for a free account and um, hopefully they've fixed this by now. But when this happened on day one, which was probably April 1st, I would guess, um, it was a nightmare. There were so many people trying to get into the system that you would fill out the account thing. It's like, cool, now go to the link in your email to activate your account. And I couldn't because I didn't get the dang email for like a few hours. Um, I assume that's just from the large crush of folks doing that. But hopefully that's a little bit better now. Yeah, like I just found a bunch of uh, courses here on... um Swift fundamentals, iOS 11 fundamentals, intermediate level stuff. iOS 11 uh, or Xcode 11? All right, it says iOS 11 fundamentals by Simon Allardyce, yeah, who I just so mentioned before. Pretty out of date oh, then. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I wonder if he's still working for them. I don't know. It's been a few years. He was he was a speaker at um, Tammy's conference back in the day. Yeah. What was that thing called? I forget. What that was would that be one called? Indie DevStock. Indie DevStock, yeah. Right. Uh, CloudKit fundamentals, Objective C for Swift developers from 2020. Well, that's, that's a pretty new one. Only an hour and 23 minutes long. That's how long it took me to learn Objective to see, I remember back in the day. Right. <laughs> anyway, all right. I mean, like I said, I've I've, I've poked around some plural plural site stuff, and it's comparable to Lynda.com, but you know, which is now owned by LinkedIn, I believe, right? Lynda, Already. I think, is in in or the uh, Russian right, nesting right. doll. If it's owned by LinkedIn, that means it's owned by Microsoft, who acquired yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, I get free access to it through my Toronto Library card connection, so which I like. All right, what else you got for us? Yeah, on the, if you still have nothing else to do, uh, let me tell you, Google's Arts and Culture app might be something you can download and try out this new feature with your your furry friends. So the update that they have is that you can take photos, let's say like of your dog or cat, and with the power of machine learning, you can apply filters to it to make it look like as if it was done by a master of painting, you know, like like Van Gogh, for example. Mm. Is that why you did Poyo, the, the illustration of Poyo? Yes. So this is uh, inspired by The Scream by what Edvard yes. Munch? 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 Yeah. yeah. Munch. Munch. Thank you. I was definitely going to lean pretty heavily on uh, on your BFA in this one, Tim. Yeah, it comes, I, comes I didn't handy know once, some a, of these once, a, once a year. <laughs> what's uh, what's uh, let me see? I'm going to go back to the Slack. Look at your image again. Oh yeah, I see. I see the style. Yeah, I get you. I get you where you're going with that. I don't see the bridge though. That's why I was confused about the the relationship to the Scream. No, and I've noticed uh, having tried this out that um, you know it's not a perfect process and so mm-hmm. you really have to try the different filters and it seems based on the photo whether that photo has kind of a easy affinity towards the filter will make the difference right. so like the the image of my chihuahua that i sent you guys in our slack um that one worked really well with the colors and texture patterns from the screen. And mm-hmm. it didn't work so well with like, I can't remember which Andy Warhol thing uh, image it was, <laughs> but it was like, oh yeah, okay. I'm going to have to take a different photo for this one. So you have to get a new dog? Is that the deal? Well, I don't know about a new dog, but I need to find a different photo to use. <laughs> <laughs> right. I have to maybe think about, okay, what does the pattern look like and, and what will the machine do? Yeah. Like even this example that we have uh, linked in the show notes, for those of you driving at home, it's uh, the writer 
Raiders dog Zelda and you see four different styles and some of them work better than others. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the self portrait by Vincent Van Gogh looks pretty good. The, uh, the Monet looks pretty good. Uh, the Van Gogh one though, should have taken one of the dog's ears off though, shouldn't it? <laughs> For the self portrait is <laughs> to just yeah. auto clip. Yeah. The Lee, Lee Krasner. Yeah. I thought that untitled. one didn't come out that great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't, I don't know what that original. She's an American, like. American, uh, expressionist. So I believe you, but I don't really know what sort of, like what the original painting, like I'd have to go look it up. And I think maybe that's yeah. part of the fun, right? You can go look in the arts and culture app and see, all right, what did this painting look like? All right, now yeah. let me see how I can get my dog to reenact this scene. Yeah. And the other one is uh, inspired by the wife of Leonardo da Vinci. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Lisa Gerardini was wife of, his wife of France. But then it says Leonardo da Vinci there. Hmm. Who knew? Maybe, or maybe it's based on a painting. All right. By Leonardo. Okay. So moving on to mine. So today is a sad day. I think yesterday we talked about John Prine uh, catching COVID. I don't know if it was in the, the um, after show last week we talked about this, Mark. Um, but uh, John Prine, he he played uh, at Strombo's house uh, two years ago in the, in the fall. Um, he had just come up with a new album at the time. After like 13 years, he's 73 when he passed away. He's one of the first sort of famous people I know of that's passed away from COVID. I mean, there's been some actors we talked about on Spotcast a couple of weeks ago, but uh, John Prine's the first one that was personally an inspiration to me. I learned some some of his songs initially when I was first learning to play guitar back in the day, and I saw him play at uh, Convocation Hall, which is part of U of T, back in like the uh, the nineties or, or actually eighties, I think. Um, yeah, so he's been around for a long time. Great songwriter, inspired a lot of different people, um, and uh, this is a, a link to his performance at George Stromalopoulos's house, at the House of Strombo in Toronto, from like uh, twenty eighteen in the fall. He wrote the very famous song "Angel" from Montgomery. Right. Yeah. And and my one of my favorite songs is is um, called "Illegal Smile." And um, I posted a, a video of that on YouTube today. And then um, he also wrote "Sam Stone," which is about a song about um, coming back from uh, the Vietnam War. So that's a sad day for those of us who are fans of John Prime. Um, and last week, this is sort of follow up to last week's. Uh, uh, we talked about Swift UI uh, MMVM. There's a couple of I thought I uh, I saw a couple of um, um, books on it. This is a link from uh, Muhammad Azam, uh, who was by Azam, uh, on various things. He has, a, he has a bunch of video courses he's been teaching for a while. Uh, and you can see him on LinkedIn. I think he I think he's on his own channel. Um, another Again, another speaker from uh, Indie DevStock. Uh, he's done, uh, he's put up a book here on uh, Gumroad. And it's it's pay what you want. Um, pay $5, 10 $20, whatever you feel it's worth to get a book on SwiftUI um, Model View View Model. And uh, I've downloaded it. Going to give it a shot. Try it out. Um, I've seen some of his videos on some of his early Swift UI. He was doing a lot of Flutter stuff for the last couple of months, but uh, he's gone back to Swift UI. That's interesting. I'm going to check that book out. But I did, I did see another one on on, on the, my, my travels last week, so I'll have to, I'll have to dig it up. So that's the story of that pick. I'd be curious to see the approach for MVM, MM, ooh, MVVM, mm-hmm. model view, view model, because I've seen a couple of different interpretations of that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, you know, this is more of a, like we've talked about this, Swift UI being sort of a reactive thing. Like, um, are we really, are we really describing the UI? Like, like, you know, in UI kit, you have your storyboard and you have your view that you, you physically drag things onto the screen and you create a controller to talk to them. But um, here, the, the, you know, the, the, 
view model talks between lives between the model and the view, right? Like, and and the view informs the model, or the view model that it's been updated, right? And vice well, versa, the model. Yeah, in SwiftUI, what we call views are mm-hmm. actually view models. Oh, are they? Sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. All okay. these all these structs that get thrown away and recreated every single time, uh, and have these state variables. Yeah, they're they're very much in my mind. They're very much view models. And the actual views, uh, we have no access to them except uh, in the corner case of using a UI kit through uh, through the view uh, uh, representable uh, contract. But but it, you know, mm-hmm. barring that, uh, yeah, it's very much in my mind the, the what we call a view in SwiftUI is, is really a view model. So you edit, you make your view models, and then you pass it off to the OS, which takes care of handling all the actual views. Which actually, as of now, they are still UI views under the hood. May not may not stay that way forever, but as of today, they are. So the view classes still are there under underneath, but hidden. So basically, Jaime doesn't need to worry about his UI button, right? <laughs> well, I, I, I suppose it might do some more sensible things for the button <laughs> class, but um, that have to sit, in, you know, maybe we'll be saying nobody loves button in a few years. Nobody loves button. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on the internet as Dev with the Hair, or I'm on right. Twitter as Dev with the Hair. I'm generally on the internet. Is that Dev with the Hair? Is that Dev with the Hair? Right. What about on Facebook? No, because that one predates the uh, the Dev with the Hair branding. So and and LinkedIn. It is probably on my LinkedIn profile, certainly for the Dev with the Hair com <laughs> stuff. It, I thought, yeah, I thought when too. you were on LinkedIn, you could choose a custom profile name. Yeah, but I think also when I joined LinkedIn, that, that definitely predates the Dev with the Hair era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So this is like the oh Apple. She calls them Apple computers. Like, did you know that they were right. called Apple computer before? So that was the BG period. The BGs period. Yeah, before gel. Uh, before the reprisal of, of gel, because I did wear Wait, gel. Would that be pronounced many years? Uh, before gel or before gel? Gel. Yeah, that's true. Gelatin. We can make it easy and just call it BP before product. All right, and Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, Mark R at smopsoft.com. So are you a big gel user or gel user? Me? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. I am the um, Massachusetts Institute of Technology Resident Advisor. Um, and uh, that's where you find me on the Twitter machine uh, and anywhere else, pretty much. So until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Get that joke, Mark. If
they were listening last week, they might. <laughs> but I, but I bet you you're going to now suddenly get a whole bunch of uh, uh, pre MIT requests, uh, pre uh, pre admitted high school students who want to get in, mm. writing you to to see if you can help them get into residence. Yeah, mm. get into Maybe. school. Yeah, that kind of thing happens. Yeah, we had uh, we had similar people at um, in university when I was there because we had like a, a house and then there was somebody who was sort of the usually like a, a grad student that was you know. I guess you know offsetting the cost of their their tuition by being the, the or I guess their housing by being the the house guy. I can't remember, I can't forget what they call them. Can't remember which TA or RA or whatever. TA is hmm. typically teaching assistant. Yeah, RA yeah. is can be either research assistant or resident advisor. Yeah, they had a name. I can't remember what it was now. Hall monitor. No, no, they actually had it. They had an apartment in on the floor, and and mm-hmm. you know they were like they were they were there with us. They had a corner unit like the rest of us, right? So I just remember going to people's rooms and eating lots of pizza back in the day. Mm. Or playing guitar or whatever, right? Yeah. Watching the Mississauga train derailment one one night that was interesting too. Yeah. So I don't want to intrude on your uh, Spotcast podcast, but yeah, yeah, I have been since there was the free trial for CBS All Access. I, yeah. I got that and I've been binging some stuff. So I, I watched all of Picard, mm-hmm. and I am close to being done with season one of Discovery. So now what would be so, interesting about season one of Discovery is if you listen to each episode of Spotcast in between. Between hmm. you would you would it was some interesting prognostication and and some predictions that we we were actually right about some things and wrong about others. Interesting, yeah. So were, were you right about the fact that it's pretty much the worst Star Trek ever? <laughs> Discovery, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it gets better in season two. Uh, okay, right? I was hoping you'd say that because I yeah I thought the season started off reasonably strong. Yeah, first few episodes were, were pretty good. Yeah, and yeah. just went downhill fast. So so here's my thing about here's my thing about discovery and we kind of sort of touched on this with Jonathan and 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 um I mean on our last episode where we sort of recapped um the whole sort of two of the two shows put together but um and I don't know if I said this no out spoilers, loud, by but, the way because I haven't seen the last two episodes well I, I mean you might get this you might get this right away like like I from the beginning of discovery I was a little put off by the the whole Klingon subtitle stuff right yeah yeah um, I thought the Klingons were terrible they ruined the oh Klingons. yeah I mean oh. like have we like that was the that was my where I was going to go with this. Like, have you had enough of the Klingons already? Oh uh, yeah, long <laughs> enough. So yeah, that was in, that was sort of for me. That was a real you know I had to sort of get through those scenes right. And yeah. and the problem is they pay off in the end, which is the sad part about the show, right? <laughs> right, honey. How far into it are you, Mark? Uh, I have two episodes left of season one. Okay, okay. So yeah, they yeah. Ju- uh, I, I'll give a small spoiler because it's already a two year old show. Right? It's been two years. Yeah, yeah exactly. They just got back from the parallel universe, but are in the future, yeah. and that's as far as I've got. They found out they're in the future. Uh, huh? Wait, this is season one. Season one, yeah, nine months in this the future. Is the emperor, right? The emperor and all that. Yeah, oh, they brought okay. the emperor back. Right. Who, man, she's a good actress, but man, the dialogue. I mean, the, just the the writing and the dialogue are so awful in the show. It's so <laughs> and it's so bad. There, there was definitely. Um, so they had some some production troubles with the the writing and the showrunner that I think mm. changed at least once, possibly twice mm. during season one. So it's extra rough. I see. It does to Tim's point. It does get better into okay. uh, in a non spoiler way for season one of Discovery, season two, and the first season of Picard. Um, many times on Spockcast, we'll get within the last episode or two and be like, they couldn't possibly wrap it all up in like this next episode, could they? And, and yet, <laughs> every time, three times in a row they've said hold my beer watch us wrap this up 
And did they pull a, <laughs> they, did they pull a Game of Thrones last episode kind of thing? Where not quite everything? to that extent, but they but I, I, I do sense, feel yeah, yeah. like yeah. the, the ends the, uh, of each Phantom of these seasons are they, they set up too much and they they wrap up too quickly. Um, yeah, is what I would you know yeah. if I was sitting there in CBS's boardroom would be like, guys, just just plan it out just a little bit more before yeah. you get into production. Yeah, for me, it's it's a lot the last twenty minutes of the Return of the Sith kind of approach where George Lucas is standing there with a clipboard. Yeah. He's got all these bullet points he has to, all these t- jury tickets he has to close, right? Right, right. <laughs> Hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> and there's as one the, thing. As I meet the law. Yeah, you know, this, this might surprise you that I actually remember this because because it's a little bit of, of uh, arcana, I think. But uh-huh. but they should have left They should have left it at Worf saying, we don't talk about it. Right. What I'm talking about. They should have left it's it at Deep that. Space Nine and, and, and somewhat talked about in, uh, expanded upon in Star Trek Enterprise. Sure. Oh, was it talked about in? in so. The, the, oh, maybe the, they, they, they. Okay, so maybe I'm not up to date. Maybe they they didn't leave it at that. Way back the then. the thing that uh, Worf is believed to have been mentioning was expanded upon in Enterprise. Oh, it was uh, related to the uh, okay, okay, Sung and the augments. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. I don't think I watched. I, I thought I watched Enterprise or parts of it at least. That was the one that was kind of uh, well, even earlier than Discovery, right? That was like yeah, exactly. right after uh, the Federation was founded and all that. Yeah. yeah. Pre-Federation. Yeah. Pre-Federation, Pre-Federation. Actually, for, right. for most of the show. Right. Got it. Um, now, Picard. Picard, I liked. Yeah. It was good. It, the the last episode, I, I, I think I, I, I mentioned this uh, on our Slack that, you know, about 10 or 15 minutes before it was all over, I was kind of shocked and mad that they were going to end it that way. The big denouement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at by the very end, I was even more mad that they didn't actually go through with it. Yeah. Because yeah. if, if they were going to go that way, they they should have just done it and been done with it. Yeah, I was saying the same thing. He could have, yeah. like, like Patrick Stewart could have just collected that fat, you know, executive producer money and, and sat at home, right, for the last bit, you know, for the next season. But yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah. well I mean, yeah, it would have only been one I season. mean, we know there's yeah. a season two. Well, sure. at least if you listen to Spotcast, you know there's a season two. So, yeah. so they had to find their their hold my beer way out of it, right? So Yeah, yeah. The, the one thing, thing I didn't like happening. about Picard, about the, sh- mm-hmm. this, the show, was, I mean, clearly the actor has aged. Right. I mean, clearly from when he was in the original show. Uh, and, and I thought, I thought it was portrayed well him at his current age. You know, the, the character has aged as well. But they had all these flashbacks to 15, 20 years ago when he wouldn't have aged as much. But I couldn't take my, I couldn't make myself believe it because he still looked like an 80 year old guy. He didn't look like a 65 year old. Exactly. And we have that, we have that Irishman technology now. We talked about this too. Like the fact that, you know, like they made Joe Pesci and Al Pacino and Robert De Niro look like 20 or 30 years younger because they had all this footage that they could use and they did all the special effects stuff to make him look Mm. younger. And my other problem. With, with Data was that when you see Data now, he looks like a 50-year-old guy, whereas right. he was like a 30-year-old guy. Mm-hmm. When he was Data. Mad, isn't he? Whatever it is. Whatever, yeah. but you yeah. know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. get that, you get that sort of face fat that yeah. we all get yeah. when we get older, yeah. right? So yeah. he just he just never looked quite, you know, as felt as Data was, you know. I mean, think back to the very first season of Data. He was like, I don't know, he must have been like in his late, early early 30s, right? He was like really thin and, you know, whatever. I mean, that, that's, you know, so like a character like Data, you know, like we have the technology, he should not age, right? Right, he's Unless, an android. He shouldn't age at all. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He yeah. should be. He should yeah. be like a like yeah. a you know a white emac. He should just constantly be you know <laughs> yeah. looking the same, right? One thing confused me too wasn't wasn't Seven of Nine on a different show? Yeah, Voyager. So yeah. Mm-hmm. why 
why does Picard even know who she is? Because she's Borg. I mean, they're both, they're they're like, both part. Okay, they're both I, part I, of the same big Borg okay, network, right? Okay, I guess. Yeah, that's it. I okay, mean, the other thing is, I'm pretty sure you know on Federation News Network, it was a pretty big deal when Voyager suddenly, <laughs> spoilers for the end of Voyager, suddenly arrived. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But didn't, it, didn't it seem like they knew each other in the show? I mean, maybe yes. they had I mean, met or something, but they knew by reputation, but they seemed to not like have really truly met each other right other well than- this is this is the point that remember there's a scene where rios and uh what's the name rafi are talking about how like seven and and picard are off in his little pretends to his holographic you know v- uh, farm or whatever having a great great old time drinking scotch and stuff and so rafi and and uh, rios are talking about how the fact that it seems like they know each other and yet how could they possibly know each other they've never actually met before oh, and it's okay. it's that sort of that, because yeah. he was locutus and she was seven of nine they yeah. would have been mind you would they have been in the in the bork uh, consciousness at the same time i may wonder uh i'd have to like, check the timelines but i think annika hansen might have been uh assimilated she was by released point. from the borg at one point mind you, she's gone she went back into the what do you call the borg um collective, collective. or whatever what mm-hmm. do they call it collective is that the word you're looking for yeah the, co- the collective they the that one collective consciousness that they have right because she goes back in a couple of times she she went she went back and became the borg queen and in, in in um this series and Wait, which uh, she, series? What? this one she well where you finished picard right yeah oh yeah, i guess well, she did she, yeah for like she plugged herself minutes. in the like ship like 10 right minutes. yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah but she plugs herself in the ship and and then um and i think at one point there was a time where she went back into the collective because she found this sort of um space where all these borg could get together on this sort of fantasy planet they went to fantasy fantasy island and had you know knew each other and all, even though they were all on separate missions you know during that episode you know we, oh, we talked about this on this podcast yeah too, yeah right? so like unimatrix zero or something yeah unimatrix, yeah that was it yeah 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 so there may have been some crossover there too or or again like you know voyager came back and picard you know retired and all that kind of stuff and then maybe they they went to some maybe they went to the you know the the um star trek alumni federation alumni you know banquets and met each other there you know yeah they were at the same <laughs> the same awkward luncheon with the bad boxed lunches you know yeah, yeah bad replicated lunches yeah exactly it was like i could say something here or i could continue nibbling on this <laughs> disgusting cob salad chicken exactly yeah <laughs> they were both yeah. on the former borg federation officer panel yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. they're on, the, they on the, the borg slack channel yeah, yeah. x borg right. xb xb slack yeah. channel yeah but but, but Mark, i do think uh, given your what now is 60 days of free cbs all access it's not just 30 um i don't know if you have to do another code to do that or if it just continues it gets another 30 days remember uh oh no we didn't actually we're on hiatus that's right so yeah there is another code that i need to look up to get my extra 30 days yes i, okay. I know about that okay. but i haven't done it yet yeah okay good mm-hmm. um i think you'll like season two of discovery better and mm-hmm. i think a shining part of that was captain pike and the actor yeah uh, that they got for him and you and know so everybody's spock. everybody spock is pretty good too uh, everybody's really hoping for a captain pike show to become a reality and yeah. my hope is that if they do go that route that they will have that series be more episodic um even though i have enjoyed the the you know very heavily serialized picard and discovery i don't think everything has to be serialized i think having you know one of the many shows that they have be episodic would be kind of nice but he hasn't gotten to the um the um harry mudd episode with the yeah with the, I, the biggest space whale or whatever yeah no i did magic did? to make the sanest man go mad that's a yeah excellent that was episode. early early on mm. yeah that's where i, I thought it started to go bad really 
<laughs> yeah, because because usually you know usually they can get a good season out of just exploring the characters and the situation before yeah, they yeah. rely on the gimmicks. Yeah, like you know the standard time loop gimmick or the standard parallel universe gimmick that every yeah. Star Trek has done in the past. You know, done at least at least twice. Um, but this time it was like episode five that they rolled that out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that, they do it for a reason too. The tardigrade thing I thought I found pretty tiring. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. Another thing that bothered me, which maybe doesn't bother other people as much, but it bothers me, is the the science was particularly awful uh, in the, in this <laughs> in this series. Yeah. Um, usually Star Trek. So there was okay. There was like the early show science was silly, right? But yes. it was the sixties, so nobody cared. Yes. And it was Captain Kirk. It wasn't about the science. But but the later shows tried to take the science kind of seriously and and be self consistent and and sort of project what might the science really be like by that time, right? And did a reasonably good job, of course. You know, it's, who knows, but reasonably good job. In this one, they just completely threw that out the window. It's like, you know, let's just let's just throw a lot of jargon and make things up that just are completely implausible. Like, okay, there was one thing that just bugged the hell out of me. There was, as soon as they get into the parallel, parallel universe, the first thing that so one of the tricorders popped up or whatever, not tricorder, but something, the equivalent, pops up and says, oh, it has a different quantum signature, so we must be in a different universe. Right. Well, why would you have a quantum signature sensor if you had never been to another universe before? If you didn't routinely go to other universes, why would your standard set of unit tests be checking for quantum signature? <laughs> you wouldn't, right? <laughs> Wait, this is on Discovery? Or in Discovery. Time? Discovery. When they right. pop yeah, into they... the alternate universe. Yeah, because they never would have done that before, right? Yeah, and and then I'm pretty sure this, this went by fast, so I'm not sure if this actually happened, but I thought I picked this up, that they they changed their quantum signature uh, to make it match the other, the, the local one, so they wouldn't get noticed. And then later, a couple of episodes later, and I'm binge-watching them, so I notice these things. A couple of episodes later, someone said how it's impossible to change the quantum signature. It, oh yeah, when she gave when she gave her the, uh, when she gave the Empress her badge from the other universe, you can say, see, it has a, it has a quantum signature, uh, the wrong quantum signature. And, and the Empress put it in a little slot and it, where it said quantum signature test failed. <laughs> Why would you have a quantum signature test? You don't routinely have people going to different universes. I, sorry. Will, in, 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 in the, the meta part of the universe for the show, I will agree with that assessment for discovery because it takes place so early in the timeline. Yeah. yeah. I would say though, however, by the time you get to like Voyager, all sorts of nuttiness happens. Oh, sure. Yeah. Quantum signatures were like, it probably is like a slot that they just Fair have yeah, it is on, a, the, on the modern enterprise. Be yeah, like, yeah. Hey, so <laughs> this yeah. is like not the real Harry Kim, right? No, same thing. Uh, Wait, you're not the real Harry Kim? Well, uh, he, at a quantum level, he is just as real as the other one who died. However, he's definitely not our Harry Kim. He's from, from, oh, he's this, from another timeline? Really? He, he's from that episode of Voyager where they, you know, they hit some space anomaly or something that split yeah. the, the ship in twain, right? right? And there were two different yeah. versions of Voyager that were both equally um, equally valid, and they, they blow up one of them, and the Harry Kim that had died on this current Voyager gets replaced, and Naomi Wildman, the, the child, gets replaced by their counterparts from the other Voyager. Hmm. 
Mm. And right. if you go back to TNG, when Worf uh, again encounters an anomaly coming back from that uh, Batleth tournament, he ends up jumping between all these different quantum realities, and they recognize. I think the data or Geordi from that one says, "Hey, wait a minute, his quantum signature is not the same as ours, so he must be telling the truth." Huh. So that's to roll it back to say, like, I agree with Mark that like it'd be kind of silly at the the disco era to have that, mm-hmm. but you know, maybe maybe not so uncommon in the TNG. Yeah, fair enough. But we're talking about this one. Yeah. <laughs> another thing that I just, so, another thing that I just thought it. was completely stupid was when they went on to the uh, the Klingon ship. Everything about the Klingons was bad. But when they went onto the Klingon ship and they had to set up the two thing, I don't know, two flashing boxes that had some you know some effect to send some message back. You know, mm-hmm. you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, I, I can't even remember what it was for. But they were they had to yeah, go Burnham, in, they had to, burn them, and somebody went, yeah, yeah. They had to fla- have, So one of the flashing boxes says flashing box number one of two is set up awaiting number two <laughs> why would you put that because then so when the klingon finds it they, they, know, they know to look for another one i mean it's just, it's just well, two, yeah. hold on so that assumes that they can read english though right? granted it is done for you know uh usability of the audience yeah, right yeah, and you yeah, can yeah. argue like yeah. all right well within yeah. this you would want to do you know if you're going to set up these these beacons you want to know but you know if if somebody ran into your room right now and you know assuming you didn't have access to technology that could help yeah, you yeah. easily right and and you're like hey what's this thing that's written in swahili yeah, <laughs> Korean? Yeah, right, would you enough. know okay, what it okay. is you'd be like what the fuck is this <laughs> okay but but then why why did the flashing box have to have this like blue flashing light in this dark bridge so that you know so that, that anyone would have so noticed you could see it Mark. Flashing thing. yeah yeah i know yeah yeah they really should have at least like <laughs> the other thing is, or something you know how could, it's no wonder the klingons lost the war because because on a federation ship to get onto the bridge these big giant doors open and everyone turns around and can see who walks into the bridge yeah all the time but on the klingon ship apparently you can just walk right in and set up a big flashing blue light and nobody notices <laughs> <laughs> it's no wonder the, no wonder the klingons lost <laughs> right, right, right all right sorry <laughs> you know i've always kind of wondered about bridge design time, apparently. <laughs> like why why do the doors open from behind shouldn't they really open from somewhere near the front so, so you that, can see you know, if attackers come well because you, you gotta look out the coming. window right yeah so not directly in view front screen, perhaps, yeah. you know but like you know yeah. peripheral yeah. vision at the least yeah. yeah and it's a view screen and yet whenever they show, show zoom in from outside of the ship they always come along to like a big window kind of thing yeah. right yeah so Jaime since we, you brought up Voyager can you explain Seska to me you know the she says a Kazon so sort of, she's not Kazon so Seska was actually a Cardassian spy I think okay. from the Obsidian Order but was she was she like Marquis originally or something so she had infiltrated the Maquis by okay. pretending to be Bajoran. I think she had like the, you know, plastic uh-huh. surgery sort of thing that they do all the time in that yeah. era. Um, and she had become Chakotay's lover uh-huh. and bore his child actually later. Oh, that's who um, the little kid is, right? Um, the little girl? No, not Naomi Wildman. Okay. The one with the little horns on her face and her forehead. Yeah, I think so. No, no. She, the, she is the child of, uh, Lieutenant Wildman or Ensign Wildman. I don't remember what the, the crew designation was. It was somebody who was in like the first season or two of Voyager who, was like a recurring character who ended right. up having the child later in the season, I think. Yeah, because she hangs out with, with Seven of Nine at some point in one of the episodes I saw. Mm-hmm. And uh, Neelix as well. Okay. Right. Yeah. How did Seska come up? Not, not that's a pretty no, random... Just, just, yeah, just one of those random characters. I mean, I watched Voyager at the very beginning, and I, I think I must 
have missed like half a season or something because all of a sudden there was this contention with Chicote and Suska and how she she went over to the bad side and joined up with the with the enemy right yeah I guess yeah. Cardassians I don't know I think she makes a couple of appearances later on too yeah foiled again sort of Chicote says you know Suska yeah anyway that's our Star Trek yep. tangent <laughs> yep. all right I got two more episodes I can probably watch those tonight yeah well we should let you go and go and do that then yeah. cool cool all right all right all right I'm glad I'm glad you told me that season two is better because I might not have watched season two after, really yeah well I you know uh, just uh, the whole bait and switch about about the captain is really from the other universe is just come yeah we were <laughs> I, if you if you listen to the episodes as we go along in podcast i was a very strong team Lorca fan of like look this guy is basically captain jellico from tng but yeah. uh, you know he or yes you know he's kind of different than the main crew he's kind of a hard ass he, in this case this guy is like dude i will you know push ethics to the side if it accomplishes what i need and we did think that it was heavily uh undermining the the gravitas of the character but like oh he's actually super evil by reasons so you'll get no disagreement here but it 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 is probably a little different when you're binging through and you can see that hard shift flaws in like the same afternoon versus us going week to week yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. in season season one we were watching and then recording maybe a day or two later and then in season two we were watching and recording the same night so we literally had like 30 minutes to digest, right? Mm. Yeah. But it's interesting. Jonathan's really good at sort of pu- pulling plots apart, right? Because he's read and written tons of stuff in his lifetime. Brings the, the journalist aspect to it. He's yeah. way more prepared yeah. than, than I am, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But you have a lot of crazy anime, comic book, you know, experience too, right? It takes, yeah. it takes a village, man. It takes it's a village. village. Just, like, just like this very show. We bring right. all sorts of different things to it. All right. On that note, we'll uh, say uh, goodnight again. All right. All right. Good night. Talk to you later. Bye. See you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.